God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whomever believes in him shall not perish but have life eternal. And I'm really fascinated by the book of Galatians because what we have in the book of Galatians is a debate upon the order of things. It's one of the books that starts that doesn't start with kind of a blessing from Paul. Love you guys so much. It's like I'm astounded at how far you've fallen from the gospel. He just launches straight into it. And it comes to a head at uh, Galatians 2, 11 to 16. Okay? It says, When Peter came to Antioch, I posed him to his face. Okay? This is the Apostle Paul to the Apostle Peter. No matter how hard we work, I don't think we'll ever obtain apostle ranking. Okay? These are the two big wigs of the early church. Because clearly he was in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But now when they arrived, he drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined in him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. This does not make Paul happy. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. Then how is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth um, and not Gentile sinners know that the man, that a man is not justified by observing the law, but faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what is destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For though the law, uh, so, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who has loved me and gave um, himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is righteousness. Sorry, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's a big argument. It's a big dispute. And the problem is process. Okay? The big issue is, is that for the Galatians, the way things need to go is that you believe in Jesus, you obey the law, and therefore you are saved. Okay? There's a big argument about the circumcision group and the Gentiles. Believe in Jesus, obey the law, and therefore you will be saved. But Paul is saying, believe in Jesus and be saved. And as a response to that, obey the law. Profoundly different. I don't feel a whole bunch different. Makes sense. Believe in Jesus. Now there's some stuff that you should do. Good stuff for you to do. And if you do it, 
there's a record of righteousness that's attributed to you and therefore you are saved. It's a dangerous place to be because that is not what Jesus did in uh, John 3.16. You see, believe in Jesus and you are saved and therefore a record of righteousness is attributed to you. And out of a response to that, obey the law. That record of righteousness is whose record of righteousness? It's Jesus' record of righteousness. Why? Because he is the one who knew no sin, who took the punishment of sinners for you. So we hand upon our belief in Jesus Christ our record of righteousness to Jesus, which he carries on the cross for our sin. And he hands back his record of righteousness on account of our belief and nothing else. And this is where the Galatians are getting unstuck. The prerequisite is not obedience to the law. It's faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. So, the thing is, is that for some of us, it does feel a little bit like you believe in Jesus, you obey the law, and therefore you are saved. And the way that often manifests is we get into a habit as we become more and more team Jesus of feeling it is the things that we do that justify us before God, right? So a good Christian should be in a Bible study, maybe two Bible studies if you have a time. Every time there's an event, you should attend that event. If there's a Sunday, the expectation is, is that you will be at that worship event on a Sunday. If there's a working bee that happens during the week, then be a part of that working bee, right? And by doing all those processes and steps as your acts of obedience, you therefore become a good Christian. The problem is, is that what often happens is that comes from a place of anxiety and selfishness, right? If I do all of these things, I can justify myself as being a good Christian, a better Christian than the other person that I'm sitting with who only comes to church two Sundays a month. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there are some people who attend church one Sunday a month. And I, for sure, as a weekly Christian attender, do that more, and therefore I am better in my relationship with Jesus. Andrea's nodding. Yeah. Yeah. She knows that feeling. But doesn't that mean that all everything that we are doing in our relationship with God is to achieve some kind of better stature before Him? And therefore, the place of which we lead out of is a place of anxiety. Well, I should probably do more of this so that I might be a better Christian. And therefore, when I sit in here on Sunday and I don't see a person achieving like I achieve in this building before a loving God, well, you're going to hear about it from me. Because I'm number one, Team Jesus. But that is not what Paul is saying. 
Paul is saying that you believe in Jesus and his record of righteousness is attributed to you no matter how much baggage you pull into this place. You can sit in this place with all your brokenness, all your misfortunes, and all your challenges, and you have the same record of righteousness that I do. We're all number one. And it's not predicated on your attendance to any church event. Doesn't that feel a little liberating? Still like you at my induction Sunday, by the way. Be nice to have some people in the room for that. <laughs> what it means, though, is that if we are saved and have a record of righteousness attributed to us, then anything that we do that obeys the law, which, by the way, has been put to death in this passage, comes from a place of joy and love. It's a different response, isn't it? Like if, if small groups became a place where you feel rejuvenated and energized, not a place where you're anxiously needing to be because you haven't been there the last three weeks, but because you want to be there, because iron sharpens iron and you find that it is a place where you can sit uh, with the soothing words of Jesus with brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage one another. And it comes from a place of joy. I look forward to being a part of that. Um, I was talking to um, uh, Pam, who's sick as well, I think. Um, everyone's sick. Um, and the way she was talking about a small group was infectious, right? It was that, you know, she was like, she was like, it's going really well. Yeah, you, Andrew knows what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> you guys are in the group, right? But the way she talks about it is she's excited about it, right? There's, there's, a, there's a joy about meeting together and about being a part of that. And also the meals are really cheap on Tuesday, my understanding. You know? And, and so she relishes that. Okay? It's rejuvenating for a soul. But it doesn't add to a record of righteousness. Ladies, go every week. It's not adding to your record of righteousness. We wear the same record of righteousness. But if you're rejuvenated and energized and encouraged and uplifted, be a part of that. Uh, I saw a quote this week and it said, if the weary, if the weary and downtrodden are carrying heavy, heavy burdens, then it's probably not a Jesus. The weary and the downtrodden are carrying heavy burdens. It's probably not of Jesus. And we often get to a place where John 3.16 feels like something should be taught out there to my kid. 
but it sits at the very epicenter of everything that we do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that John 3.16 passage sits at the very heartbeat of everything that Carol does every week as a nurse. It sits at the very heartbeat of everything that Martin does as he drills new tunnels under Sydney. You know? It sits at the very heartbeat of the teachers in this room, of the retirees in this room. How is it that I am demonstrating that day in, day out, in everything that I do? Because Peter was not walking in step with that gospel. He had erred from the path and had bought in this idea that you need to do some stuff, and Paul says, no, you don't. Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have departed from. Everything comes back to that. That's one of the great joys of being a part of a Church of Christ movement. No creed but Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus and what he has accomplished has to sit at the heartbeat of everything that we do every single day. When we bring joy to patients in hospitals, it is because we are living out the same joy that Christ brought into our hearts, that we might live on to eternity. That feels pretty joyful, and I want to share that. When we're figuring out the diamond tip drill bits that we need to use to push through the granite layer that sits under Earlwood. And we're sitting there strategizing with our team and there's a peace and there's a calm. And there's a willingness to listen that comes from the centrality of the gospel impacting the way that we act as a boss in our workplace. When we sit with our friends and we talk about this season of being a grandparent and all the busyness that comes with that, and we get to be a joyful, calming presence in our grandchildren's life, it sits in line with the heartbeat of the gospel because you know your destination, eternity, forevermore. It cannot be an afterthought, the truth of what Jesus has done for us, but it must sit at the very heartbeat of everything that we do. If we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are still sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? The whole battle here is that because you are trying to do stuff to prove your justification, you have undone the very thing that Jesus did. He died for your sins while you were still sinners. Before you did everything, anything, everything, whatever you did, Christ died for you dead in our transgressions, made alive in Christ. 
Christ is my worth. Christ is my value. Christ is my justification. He is my sanctification. And in response to that, out of joy, out of love, let's choose to follow. It's got to feel... There's a certain sense of liberation to know that Christ is not keeping a record of attendance. Do you know? That feeling of anxiety because I missed a Sunday because, gosh, I just needed to sleep in. Didn't make you less of a Christian because it's not your record of righteousness. It's the, um, it's the scandalous nature of that parable of the workers in the field, right? They all get paid the same. Some have been in there right from the get-go. Sun comes up and they're tilling the field. And then right at 4.59, someone walks onto the field, gets the same amount of cash as that first person. But that's the record of righteousness. It's written on my heart's. That's written on your hearts. The same record of righteousness that Christ has is our record of righteousness because he is our justification. He is our sanctification. It's not about doing more. It's about being more with the presence of God. Do you know? The expectation like I need you to do more to become a better Christian is not the reality. Is if we need to find a place of love and joy, then it's about being in the presence of God. About enjoying the company of brothers and sisters. About celebrating wins together because it magnifies the goodness of what God has provided about weeping in losses together because we share a burden like Christ shared our burden, right? Because we see that gospel penetrates everything. There's always a moment to share the love of Jesus because we're trying to walk in step with that. And that's what I love about this church, right? Is that heartbeat of the centrality of Jesus and what he has done for us guides everything. And so therefore, I walk in with zero expectations. You're here on Sunday. You made it better. The next time that you're back, and it may be four weeks, you're here on Sunday and you made it better. It's not an expectation. I just want you to be with Jesus more and figure out how to encourage you with that. And maybe it is a small group. Or maybe it is play group. Or maybe it is... You know, another Bible study that meets at a different church at a different time. That's okay. But if it's a place where you can sit, where you can be with God, I want to encourage you in that. Right? Because if it's a heavy burden for a weary and the downtrodden, then it's not of God. And I don't want to put those on people. Do you know? 
And different seasons means there's different places where you connect and you feel that rejuvenating presence of God. Um, we were mentioning it as a team. Like, I love to cook pizza. I'm not Italian. You do, I mean, some of you have probably already worked that out. I'm not Italian. Um, but there's something in the process and the simplicity of making the dough and preparation, right? The love for that meal starts 24 hours in advance. Um, for my wife, it starts three weeks in advance as she forensically cleans the house. So it's showroom quality for our guests. It's not how we live our lives, but it's what you see every time you come over. But for me, there's this joy and expectation as, as brothers and sisters gather together and we have pizza together and I work the pizza around a fire and we serve it and everyone. There's a goodness in that, right? And I feel like I'm peeking into eternity. Do you know? Like I would be disappointed if I got into my father's house and there wasn't a brick pizza oven in my room. Do you know? Be like, good Lord, I think we should have put it in. I wouldn't argue with him because his decisions are best, right? But do you know what I mean? Like this is, it's a theological conundrum I have. But for me, there's a great joy in that fellowship, you know? At the end of a busy week, whatever it might be, I can have my brothers and sisters around and we can break bread together. It just happens to have a really good red sauce on it and three different types of cheese. That's good, Right? It's rejuvenating. It's energizing. You know? It's different to the thing that Jono does that rejuvenates and energizes, right? It's the different thing to what David does and energizes him. I, I can tell you what, David loves to figure out where a lead up there goes to, right? Sometimes you just come in and just throw a whole bunch of leads up there and go, I don't know where this one goes. He spends the next 45 minutes telling me where it's connected to. You know, and there's this process whereby he maps it all out and he brings chaos into order and you can see it on him. He comes in, he's got a little diagram and it's all drawn up. And it's amazing. I don't know what any of it means. And he keeps on saying to me, refer to the diagram. And I go, I do. I don't know what I'm looking at. But it's great and it's glorious. And what we end up with is something that was chaotic, now suddenly has order. But David likes it. You know, like once, the terrible thing is once it's all figured out, I'm going to have to go up there, mess it all up again, unplug stuff and put it on all the different ports. So he's got more time to spend here doing this. I would never do that to you. Diagrams are fantastic. There's a great joy though. I can, you can see it. And that's the thing that I'm looking to encourage you with is what is your great joy? And how can I walk in step with that? How can I come alongside of you and champion you in that? Because this walk together with God, as we champion on towards evermore, is one that should be joyful and should be rejuvenating and should be encouraging. Where there is not placed a mandate apart from a simple belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and King so that you might have the same record of righteousness that I've been wearing for 20 years 
And some of us have been wearing 30, 40, 50, 60. David, what are you at? 90? 100? Yeah? No, I'm just, I would never. That's. Oh! That's mean. Okay, yeah, it's right. I repent. I'm sorry. There's great joy in that, though. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more he starts to feel like that old friend, that old father, the good king. And so I want to help champion that. It starts, it ends, it's in the middle, the good news of Jesus. It's the launching pad. It's the simplest thing and it's the most profoundly complex thing and it has to sit at the heartbeat of everything we do because it impacts everything that we do. And that's where it begins, the centrality of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, that we might be like Paul and where we need to heed the repentance of Peter that we might put back, push back into that truth, Lord, that you are a good God and that you ascribe that record of righteousness right from the get-go. Lord, that we might be faithful, that we might champion one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Amen.